I mean, if you're if you're sick of JavaScript fatigue and like the word Webpack makes you scared. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 231 of the JavaScript Jabber podcast. Today on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Hello. And I'm your host, Joe Eames, and we have as our special guests, uh, Nathan, Dr. Man, I can't remember who all's over there on the other side. Uh, with Jake Hoffner. And, and Dan, Dan Nolan. Yeah, so you got three of us from the Code Wars team. S- say, the, say the third name again. That didn't come through clearly. Dan Nolan. Dan Nolan. All right. So yep. we're here to talk about um, Code Wars, but before we do, I think it'd be good to have everybody get a nice introduction to you three and your backgrounds and... Maybe even tell the story about how Code, you know, what Code Wars is and how it came about. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, interestingly enough, Code Wars got kicked off at a hackathon. So, it's Startup Weekend. That's where Jake and myself had met. I had been studying architecture, gotten a lot into design, product design, and technology because of that. And Jake had been. Yeah, I've been programming for about 12 years at that point. Um, I was self taught. Uh, I've been doing it since I was, I, I started to myself when I was 19. I've been working professionally since I was 20. Um, and it was, this was, uh, my second hackathon, uh, sort of weekend, uh, that I went to. Yeah. And interestingly enough, he had won his first one too. And so, um, we went up there, presented this idea of creating a space that allowed the hackathon environment into like the online space in a small bite-sized chunk. So instead of taking a whole weekend to partake in a project, um, you could partake in a code challenge within the course of five minutes. And there's a competitive aspect to it, an educational aspect to it. Um, we built out a prototype over that weekend, got great feedback from, from all the developers there, lots of excitement. Um, actually had a working prototype where there was these challenges and people were able to compete on them. And that's kind of where everything kicked off from. So um, went from there, and then Dan joined us about... Yeah, about a year ago, about 16, 17 months. Yeah. And, so, yeah. Uh, I was a huge fan of Code Wars. Um, there were there were definitely times where, like, um, I wasn't super confident in my coding ability, but um, through Code Wars, I started to, like, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. I initially came in um, as a C-sharp developer, and I, you know, I was learning and I was, I was getting there, but I never felt super confident in my coding ability until I started taking a lot of challenges on Code Wars. Um, and I, I felt really confident. I started to uh, do all these challenges and uh, picked up on these different ways of doing things. And uh, Yeah, and he really kind of showed himself off in the community there. And that's actually how we got in touch with him. So funny enough, our whole team is, um, other than... Me and Jake met in the beginning has come through Code Wars, um, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. So you you mentioned the educational aspect of it. Um, what do you see the the purpose of Code Wars? I mean, it seems like it could do a bunch of different things. It could be for interview prep. It could be educational. It could be for recruiting. On on the other side, it's just like a fun hobby type thing. Like, what's is yeah. is there one main role that you see it fulfilling? 
It's kind of like a coding gym. Yeah, great question. Just a for coding gym. Did you just make that up? Because if you did, that's amazing. <laughs> Man, you are yeah. amazing at elevator pitches. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, because, you know, we, we had, it's like it, it started the challenge format. Um, Dave Thomas coined the, the concept um, um, Code Kata. And that was something that, that kind of grabbed us with when we were started to do this. We, we actually didn't know what a code kata was until we, until we started to build it. But after doing research, we realized that what we were kind of doing was basically a code kata. And then we started to kind of, we already had the name Code Wars. So all these, like, all these kind of themes kind of came together. And so code kata, dojo, um, that's, we had this queue system where you, where you rank up through like belts, the same way you, you would in a, in a martial arts dojo. Um, but really, in, I think that really fits the idea of the, with the code gym is it's, you know, you go to a dojo. It's it's not it's not like Code Academy where it's only for beginners or you know something else. It's only for more advanced um, developers. It's kind of like whether you're a white belt or a black belt, you kind of come to this thing and everyone learns from each other. Um, everyone can show up to the same class and kind of they, people can branch off into like you know the the, the more mastered um, martial artists can go and and kind of work together on some stuff, and, and then uh, the more beginners can work on other things. But then there's kind of like um, there's kind of like learning or they can work with each other and they can kind of like learn from each other. And so that's kind of what code words is where we don't really guide you through like educational content and in a certain, in a specific course or route, but it's more about challenging yourself and then inter- interacting with the community and learning from each other. Yeah. And so the core concept there of code challenges is started out from the beginning at that first hackathon where we began and expanded out now. So all of that content, all of these code challenges in the community are created by the community, vetted by the community, and then ranked in terms of difficulty, what actually they help you with improving on all by the community itself. So it's really cool in that sense that that educational component, um, we think has created a different type of format. One where there are no teachers, everyone in the community is equally able to contribute, and those contributions are pulled up and proven by the community itself. And it's also completely immersive, so everyone's learning, improving on their coding skills actually by doing that, and um, completely self-directed, too. So they take these challenges. You can have one that's five minutes all the way up to five hours, different difficulties, depending on whether you're on your coffee break or you're really looking to improve your skills in a specific area or prep for an interview. And that's kind of the beauty of it. Like you said, there's so many different use cases within this coding gym. Right. Right. That totally makes sense. Um, this is, so I'll, I'll just say it. There are a lot of this, these kind of things out there, right? There's like hacker rank, uh, there's exorcism. There's that graphical one where it's like an RPG type of thing. Um, I mean, what's that? I think it's called coding game. Yeah, probably. I can't remember the name. Uh, but you should, you should get their name wrong. So you don't send traffic to competitors. (laughs) (laughs) It's like coding potato or something, right? So, so what's different about code wars compared to the other ones that are out there? It's a great question. Uh, so one of the big things is we've gotten really strong buy-in from our community. So the people that create the content within the community are extremely devoted to the system and the platform, but also to just creating this content in a way that gives back. Um, so all of that content, so whereas like, some of these other sites, there is content created by the community. It's at a different level than Code Wars as far as the amount of buy-in. But then beyond that, one of the biggest differences is our testing frameworks. Yeah, I mean, so when we started this, um, you know, you mentioned like um, HackerRank, and there's there's a bunch of other ones, and they all kind of work in the same basic concept. 
um, which is their standard in and standard out of the program. So if you want to test something, you, you pass in kind of like this kind of odd little format where like you have to read in standard in and it's something like, you know, the first line is like a number that you have to parse into a, an int and that is the number of test cases. And then the second line is, you know, maybe like the number of arguments that are within the function or something or like, and then the third line is the, the beginning of the next test case. And so you kind of have to like almost write a program just to write the program, right? Like you have to, you have to, you have to input, do this, um, you have to parse standard in, then sure. do what you do, and then you need to write everything to standard out. And then because you're writing everything to standard out, like if you want to write console messages or trying to debug, like that's, that's kind of like a, like that can like affect your, your results a little bit. So it was kind of like, it's a very like, it, it was a very unnatural experience, um, which I kind of felt like kind of, well, we kind of felt like it was uh, like against the point, right? Like the whole point is like you're trying to do this challenge. It's like kind of like a little snippet of what you would normally do in your daily work if you were working on something really interesting, but maybe you're not working on something interesting. Maybe you're like working on the same thing over and over again, which a lot of us do, and you want to take a fun challenge, but you're doing it in like format that is like feels very awkward um, to work with. And so um, we were like, well, like, why don't you just use test cases? Like, that's what we use to test our code anyway. Why would you come up with a totally different format uh, for testing code when you could just use test cases? It's like what they're for. Um, of course, the problem with that is that it's like, it's actually the path of most resistance in, in a lot of ways because it, it required us to build out a large number of additional things. Like, suddenly you can't just write test cases for one language and, and it works for across all languages. You need to have test cases for each individual language and um, you need to... You need to um, for every every language that you support, you have to um, you have to come up with a test framework that to use for that specific language, and then you need to make sure the output works with your output. So it, it became a lot of work, but um, but the result is that you have something that's much more natural um, to what you would um, do normally. Like like if you want to you know use um, PHP, you can use you know PHP unit, and you can you can test using that. Um, so. It, it's it feels much more natural and that it was a lot of effort that went into that but we think that that that's a that's a huge difference between us because not only does it feel more natural but we can also test a lot more because you're actually running the code you're actually testing the code inside of the app that the code is running in so you can do things like um, test for things that go well beyond just spitting out a specific output that makes sense yeah and we, and we hope to expand upon that too like with you can you can do things like um, render charts or render images or render HTML. You can have interactive um, things. There's, a, there's, a, there's actually, a, from a creative perspective, I think there's a lot of potential for what, we, what these Kata can eventually end up doing. Sure. Yeah, so a lot of that really came down to creating the most intuitive and like familiar developer experience. So putting in, in a format that you're used to in your daily life and not forcing it into this kind of awkward roundabout place that you, you kind of have to go through just to take this challenge, which can get really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have eight Kata units, whatever KYU stands for. So I've done like one challenge three months ago and I didn't even remember that. So <laughs> I, I'm totally a user. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to ask a little bit about just the, the UI and the editor experience and how that's built. It, it seems to me like maybe like five years ago, the, the standard for what an online code editor looked like and functioned like was pretty low. Um, and, and now there's a ton of them out there across all different products and websites. I mean, was it, was it relatively easy to build? Is there a lot of custom trickery you have to do to make something look and feel like a natural editor in the browser? 
Um, I mean, luckily, there's there's two there's two major open source um, editors out there. Um, there's the Ace. There's the Ace editor, uh, which is uh, from Cloud Nine, I think is their name. We just got bought by Amazon, and then there's um, there's Code Mirror, which is the one that we use. Um, and then I, I think a lot of you can use these days. You could probably use Atom too. I don't know if that's embeddable in a web page or not. I haven't researched that, but it's it's HTML driven, so I imagine it probably could be. Um, fortunately, those there's a lot of work that go into those projects, um, and so that takes care of a lot of a lot of the um, a lot of the work. Um, we've had to kind of expand upon those a little bit to increase the like the file mappings and some of the Vim support and things to make it um, feel more natural to certain um, to certain people. And also, um, there's a little bit of an IDE there, so there's you know there's an output panel, um, and um, we we put a lot of work into making the results look like test actual test cases and. Um, and be, like creating like shortcuts and stuff so that you could switch between um, different editors and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, certainly a lot of work went into it, but I think that the community is really fortunate to have things like Ace and Code Mirror, which are out there and we're all able to use. Right. Sure. So technically, when you were building this, was there any specific challenges that were quite interesting and to solve? Yeah, I, I think I think the first challenge that came up with it was that when we were first building this, we didn't like what coders is today. It's not like we had a vision that this, that's what it was. Um, originally we were, we were kicking around a bunch of different ideas and originally we we're thinking like it was going to be more of like a kind of like a side project based, um, uh, thing. Cause you know, the, the whole hackathon idea was originally part of the, the, uh, um, the goal. Um, and so we kind of ended up choosing an architecture that wasn't really like the right architecture for what coders has become. Um, it was a, it was a rails app. Um, and we do everything, we're doing everything. It's not a single page app. It's everything's being uh, rendered server side. Um, and then, um, as, as things have had changed and, and the, the requirements changed, we kind of just went with what we had because we don't have the, the option to go back and change things. And this is, again, just remember this is like four years ago. So I think Angular was just coming out and there wasn't necessarily like a lot of, um, I think, I think, um, I'm trying to think of the what was even like the, the hotness back there. Probably like backbone. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we ended up using that. We, we, um, there's the whole PJAX concept, which we use a lot. Um, we expanded upon that so that like everything's PJAX based, even if it's a, a submission. Um, there's a lot of kind of like, there's a lot of iteration on, on what you can do with the concept. Can you, can you just talk about what PJAX is yeah, really so quick? PJAX stands for push plus AJAX. Um, and so the basic uh, or push date plus Ajax. So the basic idea is um, if and GitHub uses this, by the way. Um, but if you if if one, the, the the biggest cost that you get you have in a render in a server side rendered app is the actual loading of all the assets. So um, like every time you change the page, it has to reload all the scripts. It has to reprocess all the scripts. It has to re reprocess all the CSS. It has to um, recheck if anything's changed. Um, so that 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 can be a pretty expensive. Um, Operation. So what PJAX does is basically it uses HTML5 push state, so that when you change the page, it doesn't actually render re-render the whole page. It uses an AJAX request. It grabs the whole page, but then it rips out all of the all of the header stuff and all the things you don't need, and it just replaces the body with the body of the server um, hmm. or the, the new body from the server. Um, so that's so basically it just like hot swaps everything and you don't have to incur the, the, the cost of, of reloading all your scripts all over again. Um, that kind of so, sounds like Turbolinks. Is Turbolinks yeah, like so, a PJAX so, implementation? 
TurboLynx is a simplified version of PJAX. That was that was where it came okay. from. PJAX was just a um, was just like an open source project, and they incorporated that. They simplified it though. Um, actual PJAX, like you can do things like you can say only load, only reload this section. Like so, basically rerun the whole page, but only only swap out this section. And then it also supports um, act, uh, posts as well. So with TurboLynx, you can only reload the entire page, and it only works with get get requests. Or at least it did back then. I know I know that it's been um, with with Rails five. TurboLynx has been improved somehow. I'm not really sure how that's been improved though. So uh, my my impression of PJAX is it's kind of like uh, kind of a stopgap for apps that are server rendered but want to move to a more dynamic model. But but you don't want to just like rewrite your whole app necessarily. You can exactly. you can use PJAX to do to get some of the benefits. Exactly, and it, and it works relatively well. I mean, GitHub I think is the biggest is the biggest site that I can that I know of that that uses it. Um, and and I don't think anyone really complains too much about their UI being slow. I, I imagine there's probably a, a ton of work that goes into optimizing everything so that it does work that fast while still using PJAX. But um, you know, it, it it does work pretty well, and it has the advantage of being um, um, having better SEO compatibility. Sure. I want to ask about the infrastructure for running code because um, that's that seems like an interesting problem that you could solve in a bunch of different ways. How does it work for y'all? Yeah, so it was, and when when we first started working on it, um, we really did like we we basically so in uh, the initial languages that we supported was JavaScript and Ruby. Um, we basically J- Node already has like a sandbox built into it, um, and then Ruby. I found a, a JRuby gem um, that had a sandbox capability. And they're very limiting, but they, it worked well enough for what we're trying to do in the beginning. Um, but they both basically function completely separately, and we basically had little node apps um, running on Heroku for each separate language, and then we would like stitch it all together within our Rails app. Sure. Uh, that then you know Docker started to come out around the same time, um, but it was very young and took us a while to switch over to it. Um, but now we're, we're we we fully use Docker for all of our languages. Um, the the project's actually open source. Um, for the, 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 the core aspect of it. Um, so we've had a lot of contributions from the community for um, adding different languages. Um, and that, that we, we use that in an interesting way that I think, as far as I know, anyone else uses it, which is every single time you run code, we, there's a, you use a container, and then we, delete, we kill that container and create a new one in its place. Um, so you're always running on a, very, on a fresh container um, that's never been used before. Um, and we did that because we actually allow you to write to the file system and, and do different things. And we just want to make sure that people aren't leaving leaving behind um, a, a bad state for the next person. Sure. It, it also seems like that helps with security. I mean, running arbitrary code is like the giant nightmare of every security conscious person. And that's that's what your product is. You let people run arbitrary code. So yeah. do, do the containers and just making them delete themselves or whatever, does that address that problem? Yeah, it does. We we also have within the container we we have a special user, so they don't run as root within the container itself, just to be extra careful. And and yeah, we, we wanted them to be able to kind of just run a muck. If they if they want to kill the container or do something stupid with it, that's fine because it's going to get killed anyway. Sure. Um, in the beginning though, it was hard because we had these sandbox things, and it was like a cat and mouse game because we'd have a, a bunch of our users would just they would yeah. actually kata that were just meant for trying to hack the system and break it, and then people yeah, would yeah. try to beat it. And, it, I would be like, I would fix it. And I, I actually learned, like, we had this guy who was just doing the crazy, like, I still to this day do not understand this JavaScript code. Like, it, it, was, it was like alien code. 
Um, but, but the things he would do to like to get past our sandboxing, it was, I mean, it was like blowing our, everyone's minds. People were learning so much from it. It was really exciting at some points. Like they understood how we were stitching code together or at the time I wasn't on the code wars team and Jake was defending against a lot of this himself, but <laughs> while like with help from the community and people were doing some really smart things. Like they would figure out how to take the code and because we were stitching it together, they could turn it into a string, um, not in JavaScript necessarily, but you could uh, turn the entire output into a string so they could do things like turn um, what should have been JavaScript into a SQL string. And so you're actually executing it in SQL or executing it in Bash and uh, do all these kind of crazy creative things that you couldn't do otherwise if we didn't leave this open space for you to actually execute. And, sure. uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this stuff seems like like it would really draw a certain kind of person. I have one friend that uh, would just dedicate their life to figuring out, not maliciously at all, but just like, how can I break this in, in a really wonky way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we had a, we had a number of users that were, that, would, that, would, that was the only reason why they were using the site was just to try to break it. And they, they were getting a sure. kick out of it. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, guys, I fixed it. And then like 15 minutes later, I'd be like, I broke it again. I'd be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's true. I haven't thought about that. Lots of product companies complain about their users. This is like a special kind of complaining about your user, though. It's not It's not like they can't find the big red button that's super obvious. It's like they took down our server <laughs> and, and cackled with glee. <laughs> we love it, though. It's like we, all, star. we all learn together. Yeah. 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 And just the heart, yeah, the hardest kata is defending against <laughs> your curious <laughs> users. Yeah. And they were some of the most interesting kata, too, for a little while. Like, it was very outside of the realm of what Code War supported, but still an interesting use case. Yeah, one of the most interesting kata I remember I, I tried to um, take was somebody actually created, there's this idea of, like, a detonating bomb, and you didn't know where it was, but you had, like, you know, you had, like, your, your kata, and you had to figure out, like, how did how to um, disarm it, and you didn't know exactly what you're supposed to do, but if you start to look over on the global scope, which I didn't know how to do at the time, you can start to figure out, oh, what kind of variables do I have available to me? Start to look inside there, start to look for the keys, start to do uh, different things. You figure out that the main object is frozen, which I didn't even know you could freeze objects <laughs> in JavaScript, but all the while, like, I took one of my coworkers and we were just walk, working through this after work and we were just like, wow, you can free stuff in JavaScript? This is so cool. And just, you know, just going right through and figuring it all out. It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, people are basically, yeah, they, they make a scavenger hunt by trying to figure out, like, where this hidden variable is as they answer. And that's actually a perfect example of what you can do with the our format of where you're running tests inside of the process instead of just outputting stuff. But you could never do any of that stuff. So. If you're just using standard in and standard out. Sure. So, I, like I said, I haven't done a ton of questions on here, but I've kind of glanced through them. And also from my experience with these other kinds of sites, uh, there's a certain style of problem that fits well for this, where they're generally self-contained, um, but s small enough to be solvable in a couple hours, but still kind of interesting. And I feel like in my experience in just day-to-day -day software development, those those kinds of problems are pretty rare. Um, they're they're they feel kind of artificial, uh, especially relating to interviews. Um, do you do you think experience and practice at solving these kinds of problems translates directly to just general software development? We we try to. I mean, I. I, I 
we definitely know what you're saying because I, a lot of these problems, um, especially ones that are that are raised during like interview um, interviewing um, questions, they tend to be very computer science driven and things that are like theoretical, but you never actually do in your in your daily work. Um, and so that's part of the reason why we try to expand our format to do different things is is that there's there's certainly computer science questions on the site that are that fall within that category. Um, but there's the, we we've definitely tried to expand the code base to um, or the the kata base to have um, to, to to try to do things that are more real world. That was part of the reason why we went the route we did was was so that would happen. Um, and certainly, you know, Dan is a, could, could speak to how much that has helped him. Um, and it, and and I think it does apply. But um, but yeah, it's. I mean, there's a, there's the other edge side of this too, which is I think a lot of us like our day to day stuff is like, is like, I mean, how many times have you know you're you're building maybe you work for a company and you you build you know CRM apps or something and it's like you kind of tend to do a lot of the same stuff over and over again and you don't yeah. you don't get a lot of opportunity to expand your knowledge in ways that um, you're just not gonna you're not gonna do like when your day to day stuff so. That was kind of part of the point with CodeWars is it allows you to actually really challenge yourself on hard problems that aren't actually part of your daily um, work. Um, you know, like you might work on work at a company for two years, but because you're kind of doing the same basic stuff over and over again, you're getting really good at that basic stuff, but you're not. You're kind of getting bored, and you're not really being challenged in, the, in certain ways. And so the idea with CodeWars was that it allows you to instead of maybe like in one week you ended up having like one opportunity to like work on something really cool. And maybe you didn't get to work on it because it's like it was sprint planning. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't work on that. It's, I haven't done it before. And they're like, no, we're going to give that the bill. And it's like, oh, you know, you don't like and then you end up like not really doing much that week. That's really that challenging to you and like helps you grow professionally. And that was kind of the idea was that with these with these challenges, you can expand yourself in a lot of different directions. And a lot of these a lot of these things apply to like video games or uh, or various different um, types of apps that maybe you're not working on. Um, so they don't necessarily apply to your day to day activity, but they I think they do help you grow. You also I, don't, get- I, don't, I don't really know that I uh, agree with what you're saying because whenever I implement a CRUD app, I'm always using a B tree and a linked list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I write all the my time. own databases from scratch. <laughs> yeah, there bespoke a, databases. If you can't do a red black tree on the board, like, yeah. yeah. You, you don't waste my time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you know how complicated our CSS is here? <laughs> <laughs> You'll, you'll use that big You know what? I really like that, though, because I cannot think back to the number of times. Okay. So I programmed professionally for like 20 years. And in that time, I've used some computer science, like, you know, data structures, algorithms type stuff to solve a hard problem. Certainly less than five times, right? <laughs> and then I interviewed for one uh, big Silicon Valley company, Google, and I ended up having to do a ton of study. And I learned a ton, Right. And then I interviewed twice. I didn't get the job. And since then, I haven't used it again. And the opportunity to go and do something that's fun, like I could go get online and, you know, do the some coding challenges that you just read about, like interview challenges on, say, Career Cup or something. But it's without it being gamified, I mean, we live in a world where nothing's gamified. I don't want to do it. Yeah, <laughs> so, so this... Well, anyway, my point is, I think the, your point is awesome that that like you are expanding yourself in a way. And it was a huge detriment to me trying to interview at Google because I just hadn't done that sort of stuff that they interview on. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
And so and, being able know, to do this would be would have been a huge advantage if I'd done this, you know, regularly over my career. Right. And in, in Google's defense, I mean, if you're working on their search engine, then like you probably need to know this stuff. Oh yeah. But like, for sure. you're hiring if you're being interviewed as a front end developer for like one of their products that are probably going to get killed in like next year anyway, because they like to kill it. Then you know, like you probably don't need to, you probably don't need to know that stuff. But they kind of apply the same formula to every single person they hire. Oh yeah. Uh, and you know, so it, it, it's. I think in today's hiring climate, like, yeah, at that point alone, like, you, you should know this stuff just for that. And it's somewhat unfortunate that, that uh, a lot of people would argue that's very unfortunate that you have to know this stuff when you're interviewing for a job that doesn't actually use that information. But, um, but there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, even if you're not using it, like, it, it, it does, it shows you, it's just like, maybe you're not going to be using functional programming uh, in your job. Maybe you're working with C Sharp or something. But, like, if you go and learn a functional language, then like having that knowledge of how functional, like a pure functional language works is going to make you a better programmer, whether you use it or not. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it's not just that, like learning the computer science stuff, data structures and algorithms, you will find more opportunities to use it in your job once it becomes second nature. You know, when you, when they say when you have a hammer, everything's a nail, right? But if you don't have the hammer, then there's no nails. So uh-huh. if, if you don't... You just bang your head on stuff to pound yeah. the nails. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just basic things about the performance characteristics of arrays versus hashes and linked lists, those sorts of things. If you have that in your mind and it's re- and it becomes somewhat second nature, you know, somewhat at least accessible to you when you need it, then there are a lot more problems. There's definitely times in my career, even though I may have only done it five times, there was plenty of other times where I could have implemented a more optimal solution or done something, but I just didn't have the tools readily available to me because I wasn't using them. Uh, so this is actually still, I mean, yes, it will open up your brain more, but also it will definitely give you an advantage in your regular day-to-day job because there are going to be times when this stuff can come in handy. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of five to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with a company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Absolutely. One one anecdotal um example of that that I can think of because um, I'm, I'm terrible at math and I'm terrible I don't, I'm not like I, like I said I'm self-taught so the computer science foundation is not really there with me but um, but I we were so in the site one of the one of the other, other big features of it is like when you when you complete the challenge you can then see everyone else's solutions so that's a that's a big learning point is that you just solved it and you feel like you just solved it like really really well and you're super proud of yourself and then suddenly you see like everyone else's solutions and you're like oh my god that was so much simpler um, <laughs> right. but but part of that is, is the fact that we we didn't want to, if like a thousand people solve it and five hundred of them solve it the same way we don't want to have a thousand results you have to go through so we had to have some sort of uh, grouping algorithm that would that would group these these code results together um, to, try, to try to consolidate them um, and I I originally wrote it and it was kind of like this long kind of like very logic like if else statements and like all these you know these things and then um, we had someone uh, come in a contractor come in and just work on a few things. And I was like, yeah, this, it's not very efficient. Like, can you, can you work on that, ask that part? And he used some sort of computer science. I don't mean, I still don't know what it is to this day. I should probably go, I should probably go learn what it is. I, it's been like three years since I've seen that code. But, um, 
he like blew me away and it was something that I would have never done. It was, it was, it was very math based, but it, it worked like, it was like probably a thousand times more efficient than what I was doing. And mm. it actually, it, it resulted in better results as well. So, you know, now I really it, want to know what it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> is that part open source? I, if it's not, that's actually a component that I think I, we meant to open source and I don't, I might have, and then just never promoted it very well, but either way, I think we'll, uh, I'll go, I'll go dig it up. And I believe there's some, some a place for us to post materials from this talk. So uh, maybe, we can yeah, add it. you, you, ha- you got to share the answer now. Cause you, <laughs> you left me in suspense. Yeah. And to build on this, you idea. just always return 42. It's so fast. <laughs> <laughs> to build on the idea that you now like using a linked list or something, we're not going to, we're not going to go and implement a search algorithm or a sort algorithm ourselves anymore. But knowing these internals is so huge to us. Like for example, for something more modern and something applicable to JavaScript, you have promises now. And most of the time you use Q or Bluebird or like now, you know, ES6, you got your own promise that they've implemented. Right. And, so most of the time, you're not going to go implementing your own promise. But one of the things that we do have, like someone actually created uh, in the community, is um, a, a promise kata where you actually go and you do build your own kata. And you find out that really, you know, what is it really but like a collection of promises or a collection of callbacks that, you know, get called when you go to hit um, the dot then when the next thing happens. And going through and building this and building the internal structure makes it so much easier to understand, oh, okay, I can chain this. I can do this with this. What is this object exactly? This is a very abstract concept to somebody who's new, and I've seen a lot of people at code camps trying to figure out what a promise is, and I always just tell them, like, hey, man, just build it, and you'll (laughs) understand what it is. Yeah. You know, you really understand it's not that complicated. Yeah, there's something about taking things apart that helps you really get an understanding for what's going on there. And like to that original point, like you're not on Codeware is going to be setting up a full application or dealing with all these other contingencies that are a really important part of being a software developer. But you do really get those basic language fundamentals. Like you're picking up the like internals there, especially as you go up into the more difficult challenges. You start to pull it apart in ways that may not be like something that you use every day, but really contributes to your like mastery of it as a whole. Mm, and absolutely. something beyond that too, which we found is that even beyond just the content. And we've had kids that have come in there from, say, college where they're just doing Java or just doing C-sharp and completely picked up JavaScript from the beginning, just using Code Wars, um, one of which ended up at Riot Games, got a great position off that, um, and was super effective in like a really real-world setting with the language. Um, but beyond that, too, what we found is that one of the big things behind Code Wars as well is it just proofs out the persistence that someone comes to the table with. Can you like be presented with this problem and then instead of giving up on the first, second, third try, really keep going through it to like find that solution that's going to make it work, even if you take the wrong route the first three times. And we found that that's one of the biggest indicators of whether or not someone does become a group developer. And it's the perfect environment for flow. Like if you're familiar with like the psychology term flow, like it gives you the exact, you know what you need to do to be able to complete the problem. You're given all the input, all the output, and then you just go at it and there's a direct correct answer that you can come out with at the end and it just feels beautiful because you you know you accomplished it where sometimes like you know you don't always get that feeling of accomplishment and programming you know necessarily you have time constraints you have all kinds of other things that come in you know what your bosses want what your customers want and all those things come into play and a lot of the time you'll come up with a solution where you're not entirely happy but in this case you know 
that when you complete that solution, like you did it, you, you pass all the test cases, you figured it out. And you know, it's just a, it's a great feeling. It's phenomenal. I've, I've heard a similar argument for open source, right? Like your business is where you go to write code that makes money. And there are all these external constraints around deadlines and technology choice and open source is where you just craft this pure gem of code. Uh, and it sounds like that is similar in some ways where you just focus on the code. I mean, if you're, if you're sick of JavaScript fatigue and like the word webpack makes you scared, <laughs> you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to set up a new project and take two days doing that. You just focus on, on the inputs and outputs. So that's cool. It's a very similar format between the two. Like all, we've found too that a lot of people that contribute to open source also get attracted to code wars. Uh, vice versa. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, it is um, like all the content in there, like you're contributing with this community. Obviously not in the same format, but gets that same kind of uh, approach across. So um, the, the name Code Wars carries kind of like a, a competitive or like adversarial connotation. And I know that's not all that it is, but, but do you feel like you, there, there are certain personalities that just thrive off that and like, I want to defeat people. I will win the Code War. Uh, and there are some people that aren't as attracted to that kind of thing. Um, what does Code Wars offer to them if they're more interested in collaboration and, and learning and the idea of like stepping into the code arena doesn't appeal to them as much? Well, to, like enter the gladiator cage. Yeah. The funny thing yeah. is uh, that, that we're not actually the, the war never happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a part of the original name from the start of the weekend and it was part of the original idea. And we had we definitely have some things that we're working towards that that incorporate, incorporate that, that concept. and like concept. funny enough like the first prototype we ever built was actually head-to-head -head. like the whole point was you went and defeat your friends but we don't actually have sure. that yeah. so right now it's all still very um like self-driven there's no actual competition other than getting more coins and higher cues than other people so it's kind of like we ended up building the dojo part of the code wars and like just ended up focusing all of our energy on this educational side where people can be collaborative and are there is really no contention within the community um, and haven't quite gotten to the wars part yet. Mm. You sure. versus Tyler. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having a war with your code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's actually like a very welcoming, warm community. Like there's people where everyone is really helpful and um, strives to, to like help each other. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a misnomer in that aspect. Yeah. One of the best things is like when you first get in there and you start to build your own content. And that's that's a huge feature too that we haven't even really touched on is if you really want to like start to learn something, build your own content and then people will come in and they'll start I mean your content becomes open source and other people can start to help you like create your problem and translate it into other languages and um, as soon as you create a problem Plenty of people sign up to like, you know, start taking it that day. Like, it's amazing. Like, you'll just publish something and all of a sudden, like, 20 people have tried to take it. And they're like, hey, I had a little trouble, like, getting through here. Like, what's, you know, what's going on with the test cases or, you know, they'll help you solve it in that way, yeah. which is really, it's really nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more of a community than you realize. Not so much. Uh, yeah, it's almost in a way, because it's like a little mini GitHub, like a little mini open source project. Like, that's, how, that's kind of how we view these kata, as like little mini programs. Um, they go through a beta process, they, get, they go through QA, they like, the, the, people can make contributions, right? We have this idea of, you can translate a kata, so if you write a kata in like JavaScript, and somebody wants to add Ruby as a, as a language for that, they can actually translate it, and then they, they submit it, and then the original 
um, the original author can then review and approve it, just like you would approve a pull request. So it's kind of like this like little mini Git GitHub thing going on. But the thing about GitHub that I always kind of wish that it was and it wasn't is like they, they call it social coding, but there's really not much of a so- social network. Like you're not going to go like talk to people or like you're not going to you're not going to create an open source project and have people just start showing up to your open source project. Like you have to go get them to show up on your own somewhere else, like by blogging about it or something like that. But whereas with Code Wars, everyone kind of comes to you. It's kind of more like I guess like Medium in terms of a blog, right? Like it, it's it brings it brings you an audience. Um, so it's kind of like a little. Everything is just like open source project, but like super minified. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever, oh, go ahead. I think it's also an interesting point, just the way projects evolve. So like going back to the, the beginning of Code Wars, we, we started with this idea that is more in line with kind of the Code Wars name itself and the way you even think about it as far as like the head to head. But as it evolved, we ended up realizing that the people that really got into the community, contributed the most, they wanted to foster this collaborative environment. And even now, as we think about Code Wars going forward, um, like head-to-head, things like that, the contentious battle types parts, um, we think would add a dynamic to it, which would be nice. But really, the part we're more interested are the educational parts, like adding in ways for people to collaborate even better, to actually make it so that they could code live together and someone could actually jump in on a Kata with another user and and help them out through it. Um, And actually, through that dynamic, too, we didn't get to touch on it yet. We've also been working on this new project, Qualified.io, and essentially, that kind of grew out of the community as well in the way that we saw these challenges were, were being effective at helping people train, being effective at calling them out as really skilled and worked well for our own internal hiring. All of our team has come for the Code Wars community. Um, and we started to see that with hiring processes, one of the big boons to our, like, one of the big downsides to that to the engineering team is that you have this engineering team that's kind of pulled away from their daily job and what they really want to be working on to have to try and hire people. And it's like, it's not really something that you want to be doing, um, going through interviews, bringing people to on-sites, like doing all of this vetting. And that's kind of where we built Qualified out of was that pain point as well to, to help speed up the hiring process for, for teams and apply this format that we came up with for Code Wars, the code runner aspect behind it of remote execution of code, and put it into this format to make a really easy way to, to vet out talent and show off skills. So that sounds like an awesome master plan. Uh, the, the, the path to revenue from Code Wars itself isn't super clear to me, but, but pivoting to use that engine for hiring seems awesome. Was that a thing you planned on from the beginning? Um, actually, not at all. I mean, when we started out, we figured that some of the value would just be in creating this community. Um, and mm-hmm. if we create that community, we'd be able to tap it somehow. Um, but it kind of evolved over the last, I'd say, two years where we really started to get that feedback from our community where people, companies, um, hacker boot camps, any, like any sort of developer organization, schools, schools to universities, um, were using Code Wars in like an ad hoc format to actually test their students, test their potential hires, um, and using that as part of their process. So we started to see this use case um, and then started to build out Qualified as a separate application to support that specific use case. And, and like, like you said, um, the, the monetization doesn't really come from coders, it comes from Qualified, but Qualified builds upon all this infrastructure we built for coders. Yeah, sure. That seems cooler than the normal path to like, we'll build a thing and then figure out how we make money later, and then you just stick ads in it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I think you ended up in a cool spot. Do you ever get people that just submit uh, problems that are just things that they want done <laughs> that are like... like uh, Doing this at work, like let's get the code. Yeah, yeah. Like here's a problem that not I 
some other person has to do. And I don't know the answer, but I'm sure you can figure it out. And then they just like take right. it and use it and work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so part of the thing is when you create a kata is you have to, you have to make a working reference solution. Um, so you have to have something that's already working and passing all your test cases before you can have to push it out there. So technically you could make a really contrived one and then be like, how do you really do this? <laughs> and then like see what the community comes up with. But we haven't really seen that yet. But there have been cases where, like, I've created a kata and then, like, because I wanted to learn for D3, I wanted to learn some of how those functions work. And so I created a kata that was, like, one of D3's functions, and I wrote it, and then I saw everyone else's solutions, and I was like, wow, these are way better. And there were just, there were a lot of things that I took from other people's solutions to start using them in my own code kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it can help your code. I, we haven't seen anybody really, like, push that out there. It's like... Please help me with this, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's how you get in an even better solution to that, like sorting and uh, clustering the, the problems or the, the solutions to the code codas. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it was, uh, we, we did want to make a kata over that one day. I don't know yeah, we did. That. We did. I don't know what happened to that. There's a lot of good ideas that just never made it. Yeah. Production, but... Deadlines, <laughs> other tasks come up. Yeah. But that's a really good point you touched on. Like one of the most interesting educational components of Code Wars is that you have this content, right? And you're taking it yourself. So there's no one actually teaching you it. You have to like go through Google, like the same way when you're actually in work and figuring something out. But then at the end of it, like once you finish this problem, you get to see all of the solutions that the community have put through. And that's usually one of the biggest like teaching moments for people. Like you've just struggled with this thing. You really know what's going on here. And you see like 10 other solutions that are just mind blowing. They kind of like, really put a different perspective on that and end up teaching in a way where you're learning from the best. Yeah, I, I, I actually think that probably for a lot of people, I think, I think in my own personal experience, it's act, you actually learn more looking at other people's solutions than, than doing the challenge yourself, um, but only because you did the challenge yourself. I think if you look at the solutions without doing the challenge, it would just be like, oh, look, code. But yeah, right. because you so much thought process went into it and then right after you complete it, you see all these other solutions, it, it makes such a meaningful impact to you. Uh, Absolutely. There was um, there was when I first started, I started following users that I thought were really brilliant, and I would watch them code, and I would follow them. And the nice thing is, you can follow them, and you can see their solutions to the ones that you've completed as well. And I started following this guy, and sure enough, like six months later, you guys hired him. <laughs> so that's that's our fourth fourth coworker, Bill. And um, so I saw that on the newsletter, and then they had another open position. And I ended up applying for that and I you know part of the reason was like I was really excited to work with you know Jake and I I didn't know much about Nathan but Phil you know uh you know I watched him code so much that I really I really understood like how he how he thought and like learned so much from him I figured working with the guy would be a great experience and it has been um, yeah you're more eager to work with him than anybody else that's true yeah, so yeah. Funny enough, with with uh, Phil, the, the other guy we hired is um, I was actually he, he he has a couple of Gulp, uh, Gulp open source plugins, and I was working with Gulp one day, and I was like, I was I was just looking, I needed to do something, and I found his plugin, and then I saw the name, and I was like, wait a minute, I know that name from somewhere, and then I was like, and uh, and then I I looked it up, and I was like, he's like one of our top Code Wars users under overzealous under overzealous, yeah, and then I was like, and then I was just like, I wonder what about him, and then I like. I like looked it up and there was some article about him, about him. Uh, like it was like almost like he was, it was like Rolling Stone and he was like a, 
a rock star or something. Like, it was a weird <laughs> format, but like <laughs> I interviewed him and it was recent and it mentioned that he was, he hadn't been working for a couple of years, but he's looking to, he's looking to work now. And I was like, we're looking to hire. It was, it was yeah, like, it was it was a whole thing. Perfect really timing. Cool. Yeah. That's I mean, right. Literally caught him a few days before like some other company tried to get him. So it was like, sure. Could not have been better. That's yeah. good timing. I, yeah. I have one more question. Um, so part of the, difficulty with software engineering research is it's really hard to get good data sets um, because having people sit down and code up the solution to problems is, is expensive. So they either do a lot of observational studies or interviews of, of people that work on existing projects, or it's like 10 undergrads doing this one thing. It seems like one super valuable part of, of Code Wars is the data set. I mean, do you have all the analytics data about how long it takes people to do salute to, to, to solve a problem and like how many times they come back to it. And it, it seems like you could do some really interesting studies based on that data set. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually something that we've been looking into doing. The one thing we don't have is the, is the time of completion on code wars, just because the format is we don't, we don't, we don't force you to start it and then have to finish it at that moment. You could just start it and then go finish it later. Sure. Um, so we don't have that, but yeah, we have everything else, and that's that's definitely yeah. interesting. Yeah, we gathered a ton of data there, and it's actually really interesting as we've dug through it to like see different groups of users um, and segment mm-hmm. them based on the types of usage, the way they come in. Um, you can actually even kind of tell a developer's personality based on how often they start challenges and kind of give up really quickly versus the ones that even as they get into really tough challenges, like stick with it and hammer through it, even if it takes five, six, eight hours. Um, and to that point on data, like that's something that we've built in a lot more into qualified. And on qualified, we really do a good job of gathering everything. So you actually even gather keystroke data. So like an interviewer can pre-play back um, a candidate solution and get a full feel for how they actually attack the problem. The thought process they went through, the solutions that they tried first, um, and even the output that they ran in between. And one thing we've seen a lot of is people will actually take their code board solutions and they'll put them up on uh, GitHub as a way of like showcasing some of their skills. Um, so they'll take that data and actually kind of show it off, and mm-hmm. um, that can be super useful. Get to use there. Absolutely. Um, well, um, about time that we wrap this whole thing up. <clears throat> so I think let's uh, move into picks. Uh, unless you guys have anything else you'd like to uh, chime in before we move to picks. Nothing we uh, didn't cover. Nothing germane. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Any, anyone that hasn't checked out CodeWars can go over to CodeWars.com for uh, the hiring side. If there's any interviewing hiring managers there or engineering directors, qualified.io.io, qualified.io um, helps automate the hiring process and assess coding skills in a really effective and efficient format. Um, but beyond that, I really want to thank you guys for having us on the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. The, the listeners don't know, but there was a great struggle before we started recording this episode to get all the tech to work. So these guys are super patient to stick with it. Yeah, for sure. This took us, yeah, took us two laptops to get here. <laughs> the, the last two laptops, they're gone. <laughs> all right, so uh, Jameson, how about your picks? I have a few picks. So my first pick is a book called Marrow. Uh, it's kind of like a, a sci-fi, like epic sci-fi book. Um, the cool thing that I liked about this book is it's got extremely long timelines, like thousands, thousands and thousands of years following the same characters, which is just kind of a cool twist. Uh, the next pick is another book called Uprooted, and that one is a fantasy book. 
Um, I, I just really like the voice that the writer has. It's, it's not your traditional, like, I don't know. I've read a lot of fantasy and it all kind of starts to blur together after a while. And this one didn't at all. It, it, it's got a very unique feel to it. Um, I'll say I'll do two more picks. One is a blog post called writing less code, uh, that just had a perspective I enjoyed about kind of like the best code is no code cause it can't have any bugs and it's easier to maintain and just kind of an argument for doing less things, fewer things, pardon me, um, <laughs> instead of just throwing more code at a problem. I'm going to tell then, my next manager that. <laughs> yeah, do it. Tell them the fastest way to make a website load fast is to not have a bunch of stuff on it. That's like the thesis of the, of the post. And then my last pick is another blog post called The Rands Test. Rands is a famous blogger from like the old school blogging days of like the early 2000s. And he writes mostly about um, kind of the people side of software. And this is his, if you've heard of the Joel test, it's kind of like this checklist of things a company should have to hint to you that it's a good technical organization. And this is kind of the management side of it, like things, things that a company should do with their employees to hint that they kind of know what they're doing in regards to managing people. I have started a company called Five Stack. It's a software development studio and we build software for humans. And we are looking for uh, people to help build great software. If you're interested, you could go to fivestack.com and check it out and uh, just get in touch with me. I'd love to talk to you. Awesome. So I'll go next. Um, I absolutely have to pick, yet again, uh, Stranger Things. Television show on Netflix. Unbelievable. So amazing. You've watched it? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Everything from the intro music and the soundtrack to to everything about it is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yep. Unbelievable. It's just, it's amazing that shows can be so good when you watch so much, so many TV shows that are just not that way. So (laughs) absolutely takes the time. Binge watch it. It's like eight episodes or something. So it's a quick watch, but man, it's such a great show. Can't wait for season two whenever that comes out. And then uh, I do also want to again mention the uh, Angular Two um, Ultimate Angular Two workshop. Dan, John uh, Papa and Dan Maline are putting on in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, October sixth and seventh. I'm going to be down there helping them out. Super excited for that. Uh, two days of intensive Angular Two training. And I think I mentioned this before, but if you use the code JSJ for JavaScript Jabber, that'll get you a couple hundred bucks off. Head over to ng-learn.com if you want to pick up a ticket. So let's go turn it over to you guys and your picks. Sure. Um, my pick is a book called Lean Analytics. It's an analytics book. It's part of the, um, the Lean Startup series. Um, I think it's I think it's really important. Obviously, I'm a, uh, being a co-founder. That analytics is as important as an entrepreneur. But uh, I think I think for I think all developers should actually pay more attention to analytics. I think analytics tend to be this thing that's like thrown upon us and um, this like stupid thing that's slowing our website down because we had to add it, like we had to add that script tag to our page. But there's actually a ton of value and, and I think it, 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 it leads to us being more efficient about what it is that we build. And ultimately for developers, it, it leads to us being more efficient about the things that we don't have to throw away. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's an important I think analytics is an important thing that we should all at least have a good understanding of. And I think the, the book Lean, Lean Analytics does a really good job of that. And uh, I got a pick. It's a book called Code. And um, it's just, it was amazing so far. I'm about halfway through. And it starts with a brief overview of binary uh, Morse code 
and logic gates and how they're created from relays. And uh, now they use transistors. But if you want to understand how a computer works on a low level, I would really suggest this book. I took a course in college on it. And while I learned a lot then, this book has really been fun. I've really enjoyed it from the beginning. And now I can I can understand how you can toss a couple man gates together and start to uh, you know hold memory and things like that, which is quite exciting to learn that on a low level. That book oh. is rad. It's sitting on my shelf right behind me right now. Oh, yeah. Nice. 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 Good pick. <laughs> Dan's going to use it to, to rebuild the first and second computer that we lost during this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got two picks. One is a book called Data Smart. And it's by this data scientist, John Foreman. He's the VP of product management over at MailChimp. And it's one of the best primers to kind of like get in on an entry level. Like even if you're not going to become a full data scientist or really interested in, in that, it's a great way to kind of wrap your mind around all of the, the approaches that go on there and get a good inside view of it. And even more so than just an inside view is like learning how to use it in a way that's applicable to whatever you're working on, to actually thinking about the best ways to gather data, capture data, because half of the problems you realize there come from doing a good job with data collection in the beginning. Um, and then the actual crunching the numbers, et cetera, that's like the other 50%. Then another book, which has been pretty profound for me over the last few months, is a book called Letting Go. It's by this guy, Dr. David Hawkins. And essentially, he started out as a, a clinical psychologist, had this huge kind of like health breakdown, and came up with a system that kind of weds... Um, kind of metaphysics and science together in a really good way. And so the whole concept of this book, Letting Go, is that a lot of the biggest things in our lives that we struggle with um, often are put there by our, ourselves. Like we, as developers, I think a lot of people have already experienced that, like sometimes the biggest block to solving a problem is your own kind of like inability to look at the easiest solution or look at it from a certain angle. Um, and that comes across in all, sort of, all sorts of ways across our lives. And this book, Letting Go, you kind of expounds on this idea that letting go of things in general, whether it's emotionally or issues or challenges, etc., um, can have this really profound impact. So I suggest people go and check it out. It's worked really well for me. Awesome. I, I just added a bunch of stuff to my Amazon wish list. <laughs> you should get some affiliate codes going. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, um, is that it for you guys? That's all your picks? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. So thanks, everybody, for coming. Uh, Jameson, of course, on the panel. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you all next week. See ya. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate you having us on. Bye. Bye.